We are I. out to you on Instagram because you guys have an amazing product and you shipped me some of this uh, amazing product that you guys have. Um, super convenient. There's not a lot of options like this and the ones that I have found um, for one don't taste as good and I really like the consistency um, of happy fat snacks, you know, because it was in a lot more of a, a liquidy form. It wasn't something that like got cold, it got hard, or like I tried to like rub it in the hands to be able to warm up. And um, I think like these are one of the beautiful parts of social media where it, it connects, you know, people like us because, you know, not only think you have a great product, but I want to do everything that I can to be able to share it because I know so many people who are on um, a ketogenic diet or a, like carnivore diet with entering more plant-based fats because it kind of seems like that's the happy medium and that's where I'm at about 80% meat 20% plant-based fats and uh, this is just an amazing super convenient product so welcome to We Are I. Wow thank you so much and what an amazing kind introduction thank you for your beautiful kind words I'm so glad that you love the product um, and you basically touched on everything that we had in mind when creating the product is that we wanted to make good fats, simple and easy, like really easy, accessible nutrition, um, something that is totally travel friendly. You can eat it on the go. It's fine for any weather. You don't have to refrigerate it. It can like bounce around in your backpack all day long. And then at the end of the day to fuel up, it's still good to go. So that was kind of the, like the driving um, force behind it. And uh, yeah, the idea kind of just came to us because I, I'm a little high maintenance in my diet and I have allergies to pretty much almost everything except for nuts. It seems these days, <laughs> it's like an oxymoron, you know, not allergic to nuts. Yeah. So um, I couldn't find anything in the health food aisle that fit into my kind of diet restrictions. So that was dairy free, gluten free, because I've eaten a paleo diet for quite some time um, due to some allergies and then more of a high fat diet, but I couldn't find anything that was travel friendly, you know, like all like ticked all those boxes. So <clears throat> we created it. <laughs> so yeah. like kind of like, like get into it a, a little bit, you know, like, like you said, like you're pretty much like only eating like nuts now, like, like what do you do for protein? Like, like what is your concept with like fruits and vegetables kind of go through it because this is a subject that I've been kicking around with a lot of people lately. And I actually think eating fruits and vegetables right now is kind of like an outdated delivery system for micronutrients because it seems like like the the benefits don't weigh in like at all because the nutrient quality in our soil is so low they're picked before they're vine ripen you know we don't even know how much nutrient quality is actually in them so you know like um intravenous uh you know uh, micronutrient injections you know things like this are like the new way like the different multivitamins we have taken i personally think that's the best way to go um because it's easier on our body less inflammation in the body but we still get the tools that we need to be able to build this structure that we all walk around in so it seems like your diet is fairly simple and extremely complicated at the same time so break it down <laughs> well no so i i definitely I've, I've tried probably like yourself you know you go up and down up and down it seems like you almost need to get a phd in your own health right because there's so yeah. many things that seem to work and so many things that inflame and um so really 
if I were to describe the way that I eat now, um, it is mostly a ketogenic diet, but more of actually a plant-based diet for now. I have gone to the, um, the kind of higher carnivore diet. Uh, didn't work out too well for me. So I'm back in towards the plant side of things and trying to just, um, it's just all about experimenting for me. I really don't eat a whole lot of fruit though because of the ketogenic stuff, berries and stuff, but only organic fruits. Um, and what I can get locally in the season, I always try to eat seasonally. Obviously in Calgary can be a little bit harder when it comes to, you know, winter. Although there's so many amazing greenhouses popping up around here. You can pretty much get most stuff now in Calgary in winter. So I kind of, I'm still, honestly, I'm still playing around with my diet. Like, you know, it just seems, and I have two young children and it seems that after being pregnant, my, my body has just changed so much that it seems that, you know, I can't, I can't really nail down the exact um, perfect diet for my body just yet, but it's all about experimenting, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What happened when you were on the carnivore diet? Like you said, it wasn't, it didn't really work out for you. Like you did, you had some side effects, like what, what were they? What was going yeah. on? So my, the side effects that I had, I, for one, I've always been more of a plant eater. So I was a vegetarian when I was younger and it was actually more for the moral reasons um I grew up on farm which is hilarious my dad was mortified that I was a vegetarian <laughs> like the cows are right there yeah. but uh so I've always um yeah eaten more of a plant-based diet so I had a hard time eating so much meat mentally I think it was as well though but I felt really lethargic which was crazy so I um I tried it for a good couple of months thinking you know maybe it's a hump to get over but just didn't I just felt very heavy so and with the plant side of things I don't get that feeling so that was one, that was the main difference. Um, I didn't, I'm not one to look too deep into like all my, um, you know, performance. Like I know you, you post, you're right into that. And I'd love to quiz you on some of that. I'm not probably for one, because with two little ones running around and, and a company on the go, it's a bit hard to keep track of all of that all the time. So I just really go by intuitive, like how I feel like when I'm eating stuff. Well, and I think like people like us too, like we get really bogged down in it. Like I, I do it as a big part of like my routine now, but like I try really hard not to enter more things because like there's always more diagnostic tools. There's always like kind of more information. Like I always kind of want to keep track of it. And even like a post I did today, like I woke up because I typically only sleep three or four hours a night. And most mornings I wake up and I have like optimal blood pressure or um, like just normal blood pressure. And I've had a direct link now by going through that understanding when I have bouts of like grade one hypertension, like, you know, it's super spread. When I was a vegan, I had grade one hypertension almost for the entire month that I was vegan. But I realized that I think my uh, sport induced asthma was actually misdiagnosed as like intermittent high blood pressure because I noticed that like my high blood, when my blood pressure was high, my cardiovascular performance went down. You know, so like in regards to like today, I woke up and I had grade one hypertension. So, you know, I went training client, I worked out, I came back home and I mentioned I was back down into the normal blood pressure range. And it just goes to show me how transient those numbers are. And when we take this little snippet, it's really hard. So like, I feel knowing what I know now, what I tell people is like, either you have to always do it for the peace of mind or not do it at all and kind of go with like your system you know, where you just very instinctual. And I used to be very instinctual until I started getting my DEXA scans done. 
And the first one that I got to walk in, you know, I'm all like, oh, this is going to be awesome. You know, good bone density, good muscular structure and all this stuff. And then Peter was like, well, your subcutaneous fat is like super high uh, or sorry, your visceral fat is super high, like around your organs. And he's like, your bone density is like a 70 year old man. He's like, neither one of these things make any sense. Like, like knowing you, knowing what you do and all these kind of things. He's like, obviously your body over the last decade hasn't been absorbing the nutrients like, you know, into your body and like your, your bones are becoming like brittle and weak. Mm-hmm. He's like, you're well below the curve. So then this is what made me start to think. I'm like, even when, cause I felt great. It's not like I felt bad at all, but I'm like, what are these underlying things? Like I never would have been able to understand that my bone density was terrible. And I would never would have been unable to understand that I actually don't have sport induced asthma. It's just intermittent bounce of this, like, you know, like high blood pressure. So it's like, I'm stuck now in this world of like, not really knowing, like, do I keep down this path so I can understand these things to stay ahead of the curve? Or do I go back to where I was before when I kind of wasn't really walking down like the right road? Yeah, so it's just, it's interesting. It is interesting. And have you, what, have you adapted anything for the bone density? Like now, what are you doing to, I guess- Yeah, so the things that I've really noticed that helped were like, because I eliminated like all fruits and vegetables from my diet and, you know, and then I started saying, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, I need to take like the best multivitamin, multivitamin, the most well-rounded everything. And I just so happened to come across, um, on its, um, total human. There's a morning and a PM pack. Like it's ridiculous. It's like $130 American a month, but I'm like, well, I'm not buying like any of these groceries. I need something on this backstretch. I'm taking all these other things. I'm not going to have to take any more anyway. So it kind of washed itself out. Just the face value of like that kind of like investment is super high in like a multivitamin, right? Um, But I increased my bone density in the first two months. Was it 4% or 7%? And here's it typically take like when you have it all done in about a year to be able to do something like that. So he's like that you've done that in two months. And then in the second two months, I increased my bone density two or 3%. So I'm like, well on that way up. So it's between being on like the carnivore diet and just taking like something that uh, a supplement that my body can absorb, because like I said, for me, like the inflammation with like the plant-based diet, just to be able to get the micronutrients from it really didn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, not saying that's what created my bone density issues. But, you know, just like the bloating and the upset stomach, you know, like the brain fog from the carbohydrates. And when I was vegan, I gained 10 pounds, you know, like just try to chase the amount of protein that I knew that I needed to be able to keep up with my curves. So it's been uh, it's been an interesting journey. But like that's what I found has been like the best for sure. That's amazing. And so what about when you're if you're 80 percent carnivore, where do you source your meat from just uh, one one source or are you all meat or how, how does that work? Yeah, I actually have um, very fortunate because one of my clients, uh, she's a fishmonger, but where she gets her fish from, uh, they're also a, a commercial supplier for meat. Uh, and then they can also get uh, pasture raised, uh, grass fed beef and um, no hormones, no antibiotics, you know, uh, chicken, beef, uh, pork and turkey. So actually I have like an act and like getting all this really good quality meat for like half the price of what you pay for just kind of like the junk stuff in a grocery store. And, you know, like that's big for me because I grew up on a farm in Southern Alberta where like, you know, we're used to eating a lot of like wild game meat from hunting. And we also did a lot of fishing and, you know, like obviously just being on the farm, you had access to like better quality beef and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like 
that's really helped, you know, and I wouldn't shy away from like organ meat and, you know, nose to tail style eating. So those are the, the concepts that have really helped. So For sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And that, you know, um, we're very fortunate here too. We have friends that are hunters and when we, when we can, we get that meat. Cause I mean, as you know, from what they forage on, it's so new, the most nutrient dense you can get. Right. Yeah. And, and it tastes amazing. <laughs> yeah. So Peel, I, I want to go back now, like a little bit more into the history of you, because like, yeah. you know, obviously like there's like this big road between you were born and you, you're like, I need to create this product and go to market with it. So like, like what's your history? Like, were you athletic when you were young, you grew up on a farm, you know, kind of fill us in with a little bit of backstory. So we get yeah. to know a little bit about you. For sure. Yeah. So I grew up on a farm in uh, Northern Queensland in Australia. And uh, I'm a gypsy at heart. So I was a gymnast when I was younger, like and quite, I did a lot of cross country running when I was younger, lots of long distance, but I was never, you know, like crazy into it. But uh, instead I was into more horse riding, endurance riding and uh, traveling. So I became a gypsy at a very young age and I traveled the world. I was very fortunate to travel the world. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and that's how I ended up in Canada because I met so many Canadians uh, when I was in, living in Europe. And uh, I did, I actually came here to be a snowboard bum. <laughs> it was only, I'd actually only seen snow twice before I came to Canada. And that's, I was 22 when I came. So yeah, I just came to be a snowboard bum. I'm surprised they even let me in the country. I actually had no money. <laughs> I was like, yep, I'm coming to take over the snowboard um, hills. And then I met my husband who is Canadian and he's a mad skier. And uh, we went back and forth a little bit. We did a lot of traveling together. And then we've been back in Canada now for about eight years. Uh, and about two years ago, shortly after having my second little guy, he just turned three. Um, I was just having the toughest time. Like I really like physically and mentally was just my, I was so drained after having two kids very close together. And uh, I was introduced to the ketogenic way of eating, which is like, like I said before, I was paleo before, but I never really had too much of an idea about what keto was at all. And uh, it was an absolute game changer for me in regards to just nourishing my body, bringing me back up to my, my kind of health level where I was before, prior to kids. And, uh, and that's when I started looking for something, you know, on the go products. And um, it really, the idea kind of just, I don't know, it just kind of fell into my lap almost. I, I don't, I, people ask me how I came about it and I really don't know how it completely evolved. But uh, yeah, it was about two years ago the idea came to me. And so I've been plugging away for two years at it. I was working as a um, commercial safety manager in commercial construction. And I quit that job, my full-time job back in uh, February this year, just to go like kind of large marge at this. Yeah. And uh, we launched at the end of March, a couple of days after they closed the borders. So it was like, an, oh, shit moment. <laughs> Sorry, I hope I can swear on here. Um, you, you can, can say that. fuck all you want. <laughs> okay, you can edit that out. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was a bit of like, a, oh, what do we do with this? So there was a bit of pivoting and trying to figure out what the heck to do with that. But you know what? It has been so amazing. The local support, as you know, has been intensified. The Instagram connections are unreal. And it turns out, you know, this product that we thought could is, you know, has some potential. We've had such amazing feedback and people love it and want more of it. <clears throat> so yeah, we're just kind of navigating through these uncharted waters that we don't really know about. I mean, I am not, like my, I said, my background is mostly construction and um, 
Uh, before that, I used to manage bars and hotels while I was traveling. But I don't have any background in nutrition, but I'm very fortunate that I'm surrounded with a lot of people that do have that um, specialty in nutrition. And I um, have inherited all their wisdom from them. And especially after having children, I was like, ooh, I got to keep these, these little humans alive and give them the best chance possible, right? So I really dived into the nutrition after having kids. And uh, yeah, so I mean, and the thing I think too, you know, we tend to somewhat um, overcomplicate nutrition too, I think a lot, right? And so I really wanted to make it simple and accessible and kind of a no-brainer for people. And I, I think we've done a pretty good job at creating a product like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, because this is something like that I've obviously discussed with people for like decades now, just being like in the industry is like, like, why is eating so hard now? Like, why is nutrition so complicated? <laughs> yeah, and it's because we have so much shit to navigate through. Yeah. Like, we've never, like, for one, food accessibility, you know, like, junk food accessibility, you know, like, inundated with things like fast food restaurants, skip the dishes, Uber Eats, just, like, all, we've, we've never been faced with this before. So, like, that's why, like, I believe now it's so hard is because, like, we're making it hard on ourselves because we want it to be easy. Yeah. Like for sure. yeah. Juxtaposition, right? Yeah. It's uh, definitely, but- it's definitely hard to navigate, especially when there's just so much information and so much false information, right? You can kind of pick and choose what you can believe out there, but unless you're going to take the time, like, you know, I said before, kind of getting a PhD in your own health, because everyone's so different, you know, what, what's working for me is not maybe working for you and vice versa. So yeah. It's it's like, because people, what's, they just kind of feel like that initial, like great, they've changed something and they're inspired and they're feeling enthusiastic. So then, then it's just like, I'm going to go online and tell everybody this is the next best thing. And, but yeah. then they don't go back and say, okay, well, this is like what I, how I fell off, or this is what I experienced before. Cause you know, like you said, with the, with the carnivore diet, you know, like you felt lethargic, like you didn't feel good. And I actually used to feel like that when I was uh, eating predominantly meat, but my carbohydrate intake was too high. And I actually thought it was the meat too, like kind of like weighing me down until I eliminated all the carbohydrates and just went meat. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, there's something different here that I wasn't really understanding before. Um, and then I really noticed that there is a, once you start eating only meat, like a significant difference between like pasture raised, you know, grass fed free range meat versus not. And even right down to eggs. Like if I go get some farm fresh eggs, I could eat a dozen of no problem. I could eat one egg from the store and like my stomach feels all bloated and heavy. And like, it's just, there's a very big difference in the quality. And, and most people don't want to go that far into it. Cause that's where it's like, well, it's a lot of work and it's just like, well, but you also have presumably like 70, 80, 90 years to be able to figure this out. And once you kind of start walking down that road, you just have to make those minor adjustments to be able to feel good. Right. Oh, for sure. And I mean, the difference is, you know, even um, for women to men and, you know, pre-children or after children, I mean, our bodies are just so, so incredibly different and it's not a one size fits all, which is, I think the general problem, hey, like, it's like, oh, you know, we're just going to do this and um, traditionally how everyone has done it before and it'll be great. But yeah. unfortunately, it's not that easy. Well, and I remember hearing something is probably about a year ago is that like, why do we always expect um, that we're going to find this one perfect diet when we don't find this 
one perfect job or this one perfect person or this one perfect house. But like, we think that there's going to be this one magic way of eating that's going to solve all the problems. And we just want to stick with that and not realize that there is seasonal eating to take into consideration. There's like, you're more stressed out right now to take into consideration. You know, like there's, I'm more active right now to take into consideration, but we just don't want to put that kind of effort and energy into it. And like you said, it's, it's not benefiting anybody else, but us. And I love how you phrase this, like having a PhD in our own, you know, health, because we, we've blindly delegated our health and health management out to other people and just trusted it and realized that, well, we can't trust that environment, you know, like, look how much it's led us askew, but we're still kind of fence sitting on that. But you see this growing population of people like you who are now like, I'm going to help that. Like you're a part of like, like the solution to this problem saying like, I put this research in, like I have this product and like, you know, you can trust this product and it, it's going to help you on your journey to be able to figure things out, whether it's for like a day, a week, a month or a year, but you're just a part of that puzzle, right? Yeah. Thanks. I know. Well, and it just, you know, the, the amount of ingredients in food too, like it's just like, what an earth? Like, and I, you actually don't need a preservative in a food, you know, our happy fats are good for six months shelf life with zero preservatives. That's because they, they have a really low water content. So they're considered low risk when it comes to pathogen growth. Um, and obviously they come sealed. So yeah, I mean, why why do we have those additives? You know, we don't need them. But and why do you want something to sit on the shelf for longer than six months anyway? Right, yeah. I know, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I had a customer tell me the other day, they're like, oh, I've had this for four years and it's still good. And I'm like, oh, you shouldn't eat that. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like that TV show now where those guys are eating stuff from like 50 years ago yeah. and, you know, and stuff. But um, yeah. I want to spin it back a little bit when you said you initially started on the ketogenic diet, um, you know, like when you said like just kind of feel better, was it, you know, feel better, lose weight, feel better, like you're just foggy in the mind, feel better energy, like all the above, like like, what was it that kind of steered you towards that? You were on a paleo diet, I believe you said. And like, what kind of tilted you into a ketogenic, um, you know, diet? And like, what were the primary reasons for it? Yeah, for sure. So um, I was still, I was, uh, my little guy must have been about nine or 10 months. So I was still breastfeeding, which obviously is very taxing on the body. And I was just like, obviously getting no sleep as well, as you do with a new babe. Um, so there was sleep deprivation. There was also the baby weight that I was working to get off. Um, just totally just feeling just down and out basically. Um, so mentally as well, struggling with a lot of fog, you know, like couldn't really remember, like lost my car keys every morning. <laughs> it's like, Oh my God, come on. This can't be normal. So one of my really close friends, um, who is a doctor of Chinese medicine was the one who actually introduced me to, um, she said, Hey, why don't you look into this ketogenic stuff? She'd been, she'd been trying it herself for a couple of months and, um, had amazing results. And she started because she had some really severe joint, um, pain in her knees and it would like totally cleared it up. So I was like, Oh yeah, you know what? I will try that. And I tell you within, um, I'd say six, weeks or so like I think I got had a bit of a keto flu for about three weeks but I was also still breastfeeding so I think that it my body took a little bit longer to adapt to it um but within three weeks I tell you the the energy levels went through the roof the baby weight melted off and uh yeah the brain fog even though I still wasn't getting hardly any sleep um although listening to you before Blake saying that you only get four hours of sleep a night, I was definitely getting, I, I don't think I can function on that. Four hours is not really me, but, um, 
My I kids did. started that and I just kind of snowballed it after the fact into being like productive, but we can yeah. get into actually how I fine tune that down like later on. So there actually is a, a very specific reason for it now. But. Okay. Okay. Well, I'd love to hear it either online or offline, but um, yeah. So the, like, it was just, you know, I just felt so much clearer in my, even I could just tell, you know, in my eyes, I was like, wow, I feel like I'm kind of alive again. But then I also, you know, after about, must have been about six months or so, I started getting some pretty crazy digestive problems again, which I'm still kind of, you know, working out a little bit. And that's when I started experimenting with it in and out of the, um, you know, maybe not as high a fat, um, maybe cycling in some more carbs. And I realized that I definitely need to cycle more carbs. Um, and especially um, during like certain times of the month and following my cycle as well. And so it just honestly, it's just been like kind of a bit of a roller coaster, but I, I generally have felt so amazing um, since eating that way that there's no, there's no turning back, you know, from here. And it's just trying to figure out from now on in, you know, what the best path is. Yeah. But did I you initially measure your ketone levels. Do you still measure them? I didn't, I didn't do any of it. Yeah. You know what? Because um, I somewhat feel a little bit too, uh, restricted. I think sometimes when I, when I get too crazy on the numbers, um, and I, like I said before, I just want it to be intuitive. Although I am kind of getting to a stage now, maybe where, you know, I would like to dive deeply into it now and just see if I can kind of maybe reset some things like the you know, there's different things popping up here and there. I'm like, hmm, I wonder how, you know, I could do that. But I really like the idea of just cruising through and just working it out intuitively rather than having to, like you said, it is a lot of work and it, it would be amazing to see all those numbers. But I'm not too sure if I want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, like, so these are like a couple of things that I found. I've experimented this with other people and it seems pretty consistent. Um, mm -hmm. So just a little food for thought for you. So I'm yeah. a big person that believes in like association. Like I, I, I would rather know why than stop and understand, okay, when, when I have this taste in my mouth or when I have like this feeling in my body or when my brain feels this way, like I know this is where I'm at. So like, I actually kind of track that with like my ketone levels and saying, okay, well, you know, if I, when I'm like, like in this like real optimal, like range for me around like kind of like the four-ish range, you know, of like, you know, uh, ketone bodies that it feels like my brain is so high functioning that my brain is pulling my body through life. Like it's a very strange feeling. It's the yeah. only way that I can like describe that. It's like, like my brain is just like, it physically wants to run this race, not just like send these signals through itself, like a lot faster. So like when I know that, I know that's like the best range for me, but I've actually found because when we did the ketone testing that I would always on the breath meter read real high, but I would um, never read like almost anything on the P strip. So like we found that um, for people who are more sedentary, the P strips work really well because you're actually not using the ketones and you're just kind of excreting them. Okay. Like that's, but if you're the more active you are, the higher yeah. your breath because you're you're like you're expelling them like you're breathing you're processing them um yeah. like that's the conclusion it's completely like anecdotal at this point in time because like obviously we 
don't, we're not scientists, we're not researching it, but just through testing with other people, we found this is pretty similar that if you tone down your activity level, your P strips start to read higher. And if you ramp up your activity level, then your, your breath meter is a lot higher. So if you ever do do it, it might be something uh, worth taking into consideration if you yeah. try to measure it. Well, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I did try the P strips to start off with and I'd get like no reading. So I was like, I can't deal with this. <laughs> yeah. you know so but i've never tried the um breath or the uh, or blood test with yeah. it yeah to date but yeah it's something that i would i definitely would like to look into for sure yeah what but do you do for for exercise like what do you do for working out yeah so most mornings i work out we either do with my husband um a kickboxing session in the mornings or a hit session usually just a pretty quick one in the mornings um and then into a cold bath uh, although that has been a little hard since the weather got kind of nasty here. Yeah. Um, and then I'm a big yoga fan, always have been. And then, of course, we hike uh, two or three, depending on the weather and the school schedule, two or three times a week. We're out hiking around Bragg or, um, yeah, Canmore Way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Just kind of where we can, we get outside the most for our exercise. Yeah. yeah. And just think well-rounded. And that's like what I would say to people. It's not, again, just like diet, just like anything, like fitness isn't about one specific thing. And that's where your health is going to be in your interest yeah. level is going to stay there where it's like yoga, it's hiking, it's nature, it's outside, it's inside, it's kickboxing, you know, it's a hit style workout. Like that's to me always where like the longevity lies in where it's not just like mm -hmm. a specific thing where there's this huge variety to it. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, for me, it's a huge thing. Um, I think mentally when I'm out outdoors and in nature, uh, you know what it's like, like the endorphins seem a lot, a lot higher than when I'm in the basement kickboxing, you know, like, so I much prefer, like if I had the ability to hike every day, all day, that's what I'd be doing. <laughs> Yeah. I, like, I find doing anything outside. That's why I try to take my laptop outside or like mm -hmm. my notes and stuff and go outside. Cause like, I just, I just feel better. Like I, I yeah. don't feel good as a human being, being trapped inside at all. Like there's just mm -hmm. something about being inside four walls. That's just, it just robs me of all inspiration, like physically, mentally, and emotionally. I know. Hey, and isn't it, it's so sad that people underestimate that power of the outdoors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about like your experiences, like, you know, traveling around so much. I, I love traveling and I love to hear people's stories because like so many people get trapped in this little bubble. It's too expensive to travel. Like, oh, it's too scary to travel. Um, but how we live our lives here to me after traveling, you know, the amount of traveling that I've done is just so sideways like for so many different reasons uh, like what are like what are some of the places like list them laundry list all these places and just walk me through some of the experiences that you had and some of the knowledge and wisdom you gained oh yeah yeah well you know it's one of my favorite sayings too is that um traveling is the best education you can get because it you know and it started for me at a very young age because my parents are gypsies and they took me to thailand when i was um 15 they took me to slums of bangkok and said you know this is how other people live. You know, you're in your little bubble over there in Australia. And, you know, I didn't, I had a very modest um, upbringing. We never, we always had everything we needed. Right. But then, so to see how people lived in Bangkok and I was just, my mind was blown and that's where the seed was planted. But I think, um, so to this 
probably still now my two favorite countries I think would still be Guatemala and um and Vietnam have you been there no, no. I, have, I know I have a lot of Vietnamese friends and just a lot of people mm -hmm. who have traveled to Vietnam um, and just absolutely love it but start with Guatemala like what's your yeah. your favorite so Friend, uh, Melissa lives in Guatemala. Guatemala um, is just the most, one of the most vibrant uh, countries we've been to in regards to color. Uh, the people are just the kindest, beautiful people. Like the, the, you know, when you meet people and their eyes, you can tell they're just so kind. You know, they've got very little. It's a hell of a lot poorer than the bordering, the neighboring countries, Mexico. Um, but they're so kind. And so we only went to the northern part and uh, we Lake Adelan, which was one of the most beautiful places we've ever been, this beautiful, huge lake. It's surrounded by little tiny villages that you can only get there by boat. So there's no motor vehicles around. Um, there's little paths meandering through the um, jungle into beautiful little cafes. Everything's grown right there, which obviously is totally, totally us. You know, whatever you can eat, um, you can only get whatever's grown in that region, right? Um, and then we hiked uh, the volcano there uh, called, uh, what was it called? Pakea. And you can hike up and it's actually, it's active and there's flowing lava and you can walk right up beside it. Like, it's amazing. I don't even know if you can still do that now. Maybe not. Like this was, we were there 10, 10 years ago. So they, they may have, you know, I'm not too sure what the liability is these days, but you know, like our guide was hilarious. He's like jumping on the, on the lava and he's on the on the crusted lava and he's like jumping he's like you know this is going to be a tourist barbecue and we're like whoa <laughs> you know? it was super cool really cool and then um and just so much history too like around antigua the beautiful buildings but the color was one thing that got me down in those in those um cities and then in Vietnam, if you've got lots of Vietnamese friends, you know how amazing their food is. Well, like, you know, you think it's good here, even like from your friends that are Vietnamese here, I tell you when you're there, you can't beat it. Like they, they go to the market first thing in the morning um, to make whatever they're making between the morning and lunch. And they'll go back to the markets to get their next um, round of food to make whatever they're making in the afternoon. Like wow. it's so fresh. It's so freaking delicious. And once again, they've just, they've got such little like just not like hardly anything, but they're so humble. They're so kind. And all they want to ever do is give you tea. You know, like they're one of their favorite sayings is have tea, make friends, you know? So it doesn't matter where you are. Like we're waiting on the side of the street for a bus. There's no one to be found. Then this guy shows up with a little, two little stools and a pot of tea. He's like tea. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. You know, they just, it's just so amazing. And my, um, my husband got a lot of uh, tattoos done there actually. And, uh, you know, the, the tattooist, and he the, has this tiny little room, which is his house, where he does all his tattooing as well. And, you know, 18 hours of tattooing and you learn his whole, his whole life and meet, meet his whole family. And he does the most, it's all freehanded, the most amazing artists. Like, that's one thing I found in a lot of the Asian countries. And I, this is just a theory that I have that I think that um, if you don't, if you're not privileged, you tap into a lot more of your creative side of things out of the necessity to survive. And so, you know, in a lot of these Asian countries, they're just amazing artists and they can carve anything out of, you know, a piece of wood, they can paint anything like it, they're, it's really fascinating. And it's, it's so humbling. And I think, and, you know, the education you get when you're traveling and you're meeting these people, 
who um, have such little is just, I think it's the best you can get, the best education you can get for sure. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of tough right now to see what the international travel looks like. Hey, like it's, uh, yeah, it's something we've taken for granted all our lives. Well, it's a good thing you guys did so much like before. Yeah. So I have a little <laughs> yeah. bit of to go back to. I'm going to ask him because you kind of, you, you touched on this and it's something that I've seen and talked to a lot about with people. What do you think is the connection between third world countries or poorer countries um, and color? And like, color. Because Ooh. like when you look at a lot of like, like, like clothing and painting and like houses or what looks to be a house, like all these things are very comfortable. Then we get to here again, this is always one of the degrees of separation. Like we all go on vacation, we see all these buildings that look so like just outrageous to us. But there, when you look at them, it's like, you can't stop. There's something very inviting about these vibrant colors and these colors that don't, that we think don't go together, like these elaborate color configurations and lots of detail. And we, we just go bland. Like everything here is just so yeah. bland. Like the, we print it up with glass. Yeah, right. Well, it's so funny. I've never really thought about that. But now thinking about it, I mean, essentially, a lot of um, Europe doesn't have those colors, which is where a lot of our descendants came from. But I think that the cultures um, are maybe much more enriched and still really alive in a lot of these countries, too, which is essentially maybe where the colors come from. I don't know. Yeah, but it's an interesting thing to think about for sure. Yeah, because if you yeah. look at like all through Central South America, you know, oh, very colorful, yeah. very vibrant. Yeah. Obviously, all through like Africa, you know, very colorful, yeah. very vibrant. Mm -hmm. You know, then you get into places like, you know, like India and, you know, like, um, you know, like Vietnam, Thailand, Laos, you know, like all these places that very like, you know, like I said, like from clothing to artwork to everything is just very yeah. elaborate, like colors and, you know, where you were touching and like highlighting where you tap into like creativity, mm -hmm. you know, like necessity. So it's like you have all these visuals that just, you know, are very like appealing and you see them in like just different ways of being able to make us happy that, you know, I think that we don't get here. No. Yeah. That's, that's true. I actually even look at the colors we're wearing right now. <laughs> Great. Yeah. 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 No, that's so crazy. And I want, yeah, you've got to wonder, like I said before, whether I guess may you get more inspiration being surrounded in those beautiful colors. Yeah. That's a yeah. really interesting question. I'm going to look into that some more actually. <laughs> yeah, and I look at you because it's like being in, in the fitness industry, when you walk in and you see like a man or a woman, and I'm just going to target women because usually women like outside of it, just being like a sports bra and tiny little shorts or super tight, you know, like leggings or something like that. The color contrast stuff, you immediately look like, yeah. you know, like whether or not like this, person is like hot or not like this is yeah. relevant but you just you see it like the color like we are visually really drawn to be able to look at color contrast I know a lot of that has to do with um like food when we would see like berries off in a distance there are these vibrant colors like these bananas hanging in a tree like it, we would gravitate towards that and I just have always wondered because we have like this primal instinct that we're drawn to color because it had this contrast to like us being able to eat that, you know, like a lot of like the real countries, they adopted this, you know, like this color contrast, like into their lives, if it had anything to do with that, or like, you know, like when we're looking at, um, you know, especially within like North America, like we tone everything down, you know, like no handshakes, no hugs, you know, like drab looking clothes, drab looking houses, you know, drab looking cars, you know, but we all know when like that one fancy car with a nice paint job comes, 
everybody looks. You know, mm-hmm. that person's in the gym, you know, wearing like, you know, like outrageous colored clothes, everybody looks. You know, if there's that one painting that, you know, you walk into like a mall and you see something that's like super color contrast, we all look. And mm-hmm. I always feel like that's like a real base or root to like visual happiness, you know, like what draws us to it and just even like creating like conversation around it. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I don't know, because it's another interesting thing in Vietnam is that they're very much um, like you'll see the most beautiful house at the front, you know, like trimmed with wood and gorgeous. But if you just walk around the back, there's kind of nothing there. Right. So it's all about the look like yeah. so it's like, oh, wow. You know, so but that's also a different conversation in regards to, you know, where you are, I guess, in your society. Yeah. Yeah. But, mm hmm. What do you feel about like the, the people in, you know, like poorer countries or like some of these like boat access little villages, you know, that you went into, like, like the people, because like, we do know, like statistically now, some like the lowest anxiety and depression rates are in these countries where you think anxiety, depression would be the highest. Like, what are the feel that you get from these people who kind of like by our standards have nothing or very little? Yeah. Well, so I think one of the biggest things, and I know I've noticed this myself because I am international. I'm not living in my home country. I don't have any family here. But one big thing that you notice in these smaller places is that it's generations and generations and generations of the same family that live there. They don't go anywhere, right? So they stay there. And like that is such a rich, amazing community and so much wisdom passed down right like you know and that's something especially as mothers and fathers we don't essentially get too much of anymore because everyone's so spread apart and um i just think there is an absolute magic in that but it's hard for me to say that because i'm such a gypsy <laughs> i want to be gonna like, say, like it's an interesting yeah. contrast and yeah. you know, like you know maybe like as you're talking kind of like loop it in and like what you think has greater long-term value you know like like be going out and being able to see it all or that kind of one person that that elder going out and seeing it all bringing it back and then passing that wisdom down to to generations and i don't know so i think that if you don't know so much um if you don't know any better i guess and that's all you know then then you're so happy with that right but then maybe when you start to push the envelope and start discovering these places it's like and you get the you know the travel bug and you start going and you you kind of can't stop you know <laughs> once you start but i i always um you know i said to my husband like i think at some stage we will we, we've got to return to a place where you know we have a lot more family support and a bigger you know kind of community feeling um but that I think ultimately I think that that is the one thing in those in those kind of more undeveloped countries and they their life is a lot simpler right like they 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 eat what they grow they you know it's just they seem so happy just doing um this and it's a lot slower paced too like especially I mean Vancouver I haven't spent much time in really a a beautiful beautiful city um I don't know if it's the same I'm sure it is as Calgary like it's very fast paced you know like for and it's a little bit too fast fast paced for me sometimes I think growing up in on a farm and you know in northern Queensland like they they say we go so slow we're kind of going backwards (laughs) but you know like and so but I yeah I don't know what the happy medium is to figure that out like you said whether you know it's the elders that go out and they bring in the wisdom or yeah yeah who knows I'm not too sure yeah 
but I think it's what, a big thing, the community. Yeah, what connects you? Like, cause you said it originally kind of started going to the slums of Bangkok and like, now it seems like you've done a lot of traveling to, you know, like poorer countries or, you know, like, um, like just poor sections of countries. Like what makes you feel comfortable or at home or safe or anything like like what draws you to keep on going back and not going to the five-star all-inclusive places which you know you may or may not have been to as well but just seems like a lot of your most memorable stories are um in these third world countries like what makes you feel so at peace or at home or so connected in that environment yeah that's a good question i think um for me like i've never been um a person who needs possessions like i I really like stuff. Um, so I, I feel most at ease when I'm in a house that has like kind of very little stuff or if I'm out in nature, I feel the most grounded. So I think that that's probably where I, f- why I feel so comfortable in those places. I mean, some of the, pla- like we, you know, when we're in um, Guatemala, we visit, we went into the, one of the most famous prisons there, you know, where there's like some really rough characters and stuff but I tell you I felt pretty safe there (laughs) compared to some places I've been you know bigger cities and stuff in developed countries so you know I just I'm not too sure what that sense of ease is but I just I love the idea of of really just living at it with very minimal stuff because I think that as human beings in a society we've gone so far like you know on a spectrum of what we need as to what we actually really need to live a healthy and happy life, right? And so I think, I, I think I'm really drawn to that simplicity of it all, mm-hmm. probably is the main thing. Um, and I just, I don't know, I just love meeting new people. Like it's like where I get my energy from, like I just vibe off meeting new people and want, you know, finding out how they do the things that they do. And I just love that side of things too. So it kind of comes back down because like I actually feel the the really same way. And that's why like I, when I'm in the backcountry and, you know, like backpacking and camping and all kind of stuff, like there's just something that I really love about having this tiny little tent that, you know, you can barely even like sit up in, you know, just the lightweight backpacking tent um, and really like having nothing and being nowhere, like in yeah. just like stripping it all away because, you know, like I feel for me, it really connects me with toning things down realizing that like how insignificant we are as an individual in this world versus the importance that like we want to have and I feel like that's like a a big part like what like us around here like there's always that need to be able to feel important or change things or you know be like that leader that driver like there's just there to be you know like really forward and out there versus you know like when you meet people from like third world countries or you go into some of these like like smaller places there's all there's like that whole layer's gone you know it's really just about like making sure like our family gets through today or like our family gets through like this week and this month and like just like that more like the family is happy but like we stack all these layers on it and then at the bottom of that is usually while I'm doing this in the face of my family but we really forget about our families like Mm -hmm. along the way like chasing his dreams but like you said when his things are just so much more simple like we see more, we feel more, we listen more, and we're just so much more connected with each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, you know, like we, when you, when you are, when you go to these places where they, it's, you are so humbled by what you can actually live with. Like it's, it's, I find it fascinating, really fascinating. And I'm very, I'm very 
so incredibly grateful and I've been so incredibly lucky to have traveled to these places. Um, I'm very, very, very privileged. And I understand that for sure. Yeah. What's the craziest story? Like, do you have like one where like the wheels completely plus <laughs> or like, you know, um, I don't know. I, you know, honestly, I can't, nothing comes to mind on, of a bad experience. Um, probably one of the crazy ones was the bus that we got on in Guatemala, like a, chicken bus you've probably heard of those um and I mean those guys I'm not too sure if it's just um because they're the, like the way they drive those buses like it's, it's it doesn't like definitely doesn't seem safe but yet you never really seem to see any accidents down there it's like organized chaos you know like but um that was probably one of the scarier things that I've done but I can't think of anything too crazy like I I don't know I think I've lost a lot of those memories too since having kids <laughs> there's no room for them anymore I've put other ones in there <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Like, yeah I agree because like I've I've really noticed that you know like I have like a crazy bus story being in in Mexico too or like yeah. you know I'm like I'm like here everybody come on let's get on this bus I was with um I was with my ex-wife and our kids you know and like we ended up going I'm like I'm sure it's this bus because all just the names were written on the front window of the bus yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm like, we do want to go to like, you know, like this, this place. So I'm like, obviously we hop on this bus. And then we basically just started driving off into the mountains. Yeah, nice. And like, if we were on this bus for so long, the bus driver came back and like, I'd use Google translate because um, like he didn't speak any English. And yeah. he's just like, he's like, this is, there's no more stops. Like get off the bus. <laughs> he's like, yeah. there's, there's nothing else. And so he just kicked us off the bus. In the middle of this like crazy, like you're looking around and there's like tires rolling down the street here, this burnt out car over here, like this crazy neighborhood. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm like, this is going to be interesting. So then I said to my daughter, we were looking at my oldest daughter and I'm like, I'm like, what do you see when you look around? And I'm like, would you rather live here or would you rather live at home? And she's like, I would way rather live here. And I was like, why? And she's like, because there's these people have a horse in their front yard. <laughs> yeah amazing <laughs> yeah you know and I'm like but then it comes back like to this simplicity looking through like a child's eyes I'm like that's so amazing like like this is like that one takeaway from it all it's like you know especially with like our kids like we're chasing like, all these things to be able to provide like this life and it really just comes down to like you're in this extremely poor neighborhood in the middle of nowhere and they just they have this horse in their yard and that becomes like the pinnacle of like what life's all about right and, and then, yeah. I mean, they're so happy. That's the thing, you know, they've proven in these places that they are so much more happy than yeah. a lot of us living in more developed countries, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what's, what's kind of next for Happy Fast Next? Like you said, like COVID kind of threw a, a curveball, you know, in your guys' business a little bit launched at the same time. Like, was that super scary when all this happened, the borders closed? Like, how did it impact you and how did it affect your guys' business? Yeah, well, you know, so... um the thing we soon realize is like the whole COVID thing, you can't control that, right? You know, so instead of freaking out and, you know, running the other direction and saying, whoa, we can't start it, we can't launch it. Instead, we just pivoted and said, okay, we can't control that. But what we can control is how we're going to react to it. And so really what we did was we just honestly um, – focused on the social media connections which is where all of our businesses come from uh, up to date I mean right now we're working really hard to get it into stores because we are doing just e-commerce sales and a few stores um, kind of uh, through Calgary and Canmore 
But ultimately, we want to get it all into retail stores across Canada and then out to the world, right? So, um, and the retailers have just opened up again now into taking on new clients because that kind of all came to a screeching halt with the pandemic. So it's just been a matter of um, being kind of patient. You know, things aren't moving maybe as fast as we anticipated to start off with, but they're still moving. So we're more than grateful for that. And the local, like I'm, we are just blown away by the local support in Calgary. I mean, never having owned a small business before, never really got exposed to the, the small local um, business community, but oh my goodness, like they, I thought there might be a little bit of, you know, kind of competition, none haven't discovered anything but like just so helpful so forthcoming with information you know everyone's so approachable and I feel I feel like such a more community kind of feeling than I ever have which is really great and so yeah so the ultimate goal is to get it all into retailers and we've got like so many uh, flavors and we want to start kind of branching into maybe using some medicinal mushrooms and stuff, you know, doing a line like that. So there's so many ideas waiting, kind of, you know, ready to burst, but we just are trying to figure out a few different things in regards to co-packing because our type of couch is very particular. And so it's really hard to find. We haven't found anyone yet in Canada that can pack it. Like if we, once we want to move to making some more volume. So just working on that kind of stuff right now and kind of just the logistics of it all. And uh, yeah, just, you know, making a shitload of mistakes, but hey, <laughs> we're learning from it. You know, when you, it's kind of, you know, we neither of us had any idea of this industry or what to expect or, you know, and you don't, when you don't know what you're doing, it's kind of liberating to admit that you don't know what you're doing and ask for help. And you just, you learn so much along the way. And I mean, you know, you learn from your mistakes. It's great. I mean, how would you know <laughs> otherwise if you don't mess up on them? I mean, you know, everyone these days all about, you know, what if you fail? What if this? I'm like, well, what if you don't? Like, you know, <laughs> let's, let's just dive in and see what happens. So but like, that's the thing, right? Like you just can't hit again. Like that's what I was going to bring up. Like, because you have a, a not like the status quo mindset when it comes to failure, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I in the same way, like, I love to fail and it's not necessarily is that there's growth. Like there's the obvious growth. That's always why people say like, Oh, if you're scared to fail, you'll never grow. And it's like, yeah, I get that. We've all been regurgitating that for years, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, if I'm not failing, I'm just not trying stuff. Yeah. Like I just want to, I want to, I want to go do things. And you know, like, so if I'm not, if I'm not failing at things, it means that I'm not doing them. I'm just kind of stagnant in my life. And like, yeah. that's, I really, enjoyed it i think it's just like how we choose to be able to perceive it more than anything because like you said there's like if you asked 100 people probably 95 of them would be like well it's so scary you know like what about this what about that and it's in like well what about none of that like what about simply just doing it and if you fail fine because there's always another complete different side of life that you can explore after that potential failure or that potential success for sure and where do you think that that um mindset i guess it's kind of like a growth mindset where do you think that that comes from do you think that comes from your upbringing do you think it's i mean resilience is another big word that's thrown around these days so do you think it's just purely a resilience thing or do you think it's um is it something learned is it something what do you think it is i, I love asking this question because you know i, I don't know like i was like i don't know i just i look at things and think oh well carry on <laughs> like i don't i don't know i get i don't dwell over things um 
if they go wrong, I just always look at it as an opportunity to figure out what the hell I can do better next time. Like, yeah. yeah. I actually contributed to like a few different things. Like I think growing up on a farm is invaluable. I think that like all children should grow up on a farm. Like not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with growing up in the city. I just know people who grew up on farms typically look at things very differently in life through the course of ideas. You're challenged from birth in so many different ways to be able to, to think problem solving, like exploration, imagination. Like I grew up on a farm in Southern Alberta where like my closest friend was like a 30 minute drive away, you know? And like, that's if your parents would even do it. And like, you weren't walking anywhere. So it was just wandering around the farm, trying to find something. So like creativity, imagination, willingness to be able to go do things and, you know, like have experiences. And then having parents that also were more like, I will be there to help you get better next time. Like, I know you're going to fall. I know you're going to make mistakes. I know you're going to fail. And they've never judged me for it or my sister. Like it was, they were very much like, we'll be there to pick you up when you fall. Not even necessarily tell you that you did wrong because you know, you've done wrong. It's just like, what can we do to be able to get through this? till you fail the next time or till you fuck up next time. And then I will be there again and I'll be there in 10 times, a hundred times and a thousand times. And that's what like the, the gift that I want to offer my children. Cause I realized the difference in parenting when, when people have that support versus mm-hmm. they don't like having the support of like your parents, no matter what you do, like I find is like invaluable. Or if there's just a period of time, it's like I lost my mother um, five years ago and like, I didn't really understand the value of her in my life until, you know, even like a few years ago, I realizing that like, she actually never helped me with anything, but she was always just there. And you know, just simply being there <laughs> allowed me to be able to be very successful. Now I've now kind of hit, I hit a, a, an interesting transition point behind that because then I like, I love experiencing things like I love being busy. I love being active. Like I, I just plow through days. I want to do a hundred things a day. I have tons of energy, you know, like I'll do things seven days a week, 365 days a year. I'll, I'll take it a lot. And I love that. But then I went through this period of time where like, you kind of get judged for that. Like, Oh, you're arrogant. You have a big ego. You know, like, like all, like all these things. Like, oh, you have like, you know, like ADD. Like, you just like, there's all these different spins on it. And I was always in my mind, like, I don't feel like this is bad, and like, I don't feel like I'm overextending myself, and I don't feel like I can't collectivize these million thoughts I have going on in my mind, and I don't really feel like I need to sleep as much as you know what most people may do, and I don't mind doing things seven days a week, and. I don't mind walking in the door and turning around and walking back out and going to do something else. Like, yeah, I'm like, why is that wrong? But then again, like it was all a part of like living in this too small of like community of like people just around me. And then once I opened myself up, not only to more people, just like actually physically around me, but once I started using kind of social media and the internet is like this really great tool, you know, like, which again, like, which brings us together, right. Where, you know, you find those people. And like, that's the whole kind of concept behind like, we are I. It's like, we all are like I, because I'm like you. And you know, like, we're all these busy people. But like, when we stifle ourselves into a small community, then you are also kind of subject to like, what the majority of people in like that smaller community, mm-hmm. how they want to perceive how you should be. But like, 
again, like, I think like what we're knowing now is like the exploration of like ourselves as a human being is literally endless. You know, like there's like an endless amount of like possibility and opportunity. It's the reason why that I don't like to have one nine to five job. I would shoot myself in the face. I would rather have um, like eight one hour jobs a day than have one eight hour job. And like, that's just who I am. And, and I love that, you know, like I'd rather work maybe three or four hours in the morning, take five or six hours off, work all evening, work into the night. Like I don't, I don't like the that we have to live in or confined to like these boundaries. And I think that the more that you live outside of that status quo, that typical American dream, the more that you feel comfortable with failing and succeeding and like, you know, opening yourself up to other people and meeting new people, because you realize that like, there's this, you know, it's like you're on this ship in the ocean and this ship is the status quo. And the ocean is like, like the playground. You know, like, that's just like, we're always, so I'm like, I feel like the more I live in that ocean, in that playground, I'm not scared to fail because there's all these people that are like, I've already done, like, that's okay. Like, you know, like, like you said, there's so many people who want to help and like want to have experience and they're, they're not as judgmental as what you think. But what you realize is like sitting on that ship, you become judgy of like these people like out here. But like, once you start associating with these people who just want to be free, yeah. Like, like freedom is so invaluable. And I like, like when, when you can offer freedom and autonomy to another human being and personal sovereignty to another human being, it is so easy to be emotionally exposed to that person because you feel safe and then you feel safe to do everything. You know, and that's probably like a relationship that like you have with your husband and you know, the people around you, because you're not scared to fail. You're not scared to do all these things because you have that personal sovereignty and that autonomy over your life. And just knowing that you have this support network there. Yeah, no, for sure. Very well said. Like you're, you're like a 10 gallon person, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like, it's uh, like this one and only finite life that we have. Well, in this body, I guess, um, you know, people say, oh, you know, we're going to stay here because it's secure. I'm like, like we're on this planet flying through space that is prone to ice ages and meteorites. What the hell is secure about this thing? <laughs> you know, like it just, it blows, that kind of stuff blows my mind. And, you know, I, um, I just, I, I love it. I love just the, the unknown is like the most exciting thing to me ever I just think it's the best <laughs> and so like what do you think is going to be like a wake-up call because we've had a lot of these kind of like nudging wake-up calls that's never really changed you know like our perception of things but like like COVID-19 is kind of like just really been so in your face yeah but and I'm like I'm really I want to be so hopeful that this is kind of like that, that nudge in like the direction of like people are just saying like, I need to start experiencing life, not just living life, like not just waking up to go to sleep, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's like what a majority of our population, especially here in North America is really just waking up to be able to go to bed, to be able to start the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what? I think that those essential nudges, although you may think some may think the pandemic is a more than a nudge. I really don't think that it is. And I think that the nudges are going to continue and the momentum is just going to slowly build. Are we going to see it in our lifetime? I don't know. Like, I, I'm not too sure because I just think that it's such a big ship 
to turn around. But I do see, and I'm sure that you see this as well, that there is there is definitely a collective movement um, and it's going to happen. I just don't know time-wise when it's going to happen. That's the thing, right? Like it, to me, I can see, you know, you can see little pockets of it. Um, but am I confident in our, our lifetime? I'm not sure. I don't have an answer for that one. <laughs> yeah, and, but don't you think that it's amazing? Like the traction in like the last, like, you know, you could probably say like a good 10 years, but I, I feel like the last five years, there's been this incredible amount of traction to like people wanting to live in smaller communities, get back into like, like, like an actual personal trade, whether that's a craft brewery, like a distillery or like building furniture, you know, like making clothes, you know, creating happy fat snacks. Like there's people who actually just, they want that, you know, like it, it seems like there's a really big shift of, you know, going back to like that way of living where you can put your name on it. Cause I was having this uh, conversation with my sister when I was in Calgary on the weekend and saying that, like, I actually feel like, like there's this air around people now that want to have a family name attached to things, you know, like, like, you know, like this is my, I, I want to hold a regard of like, like my family name in this community to like this, this thing that I can be proud of. Like I made this shoe, I made this shirt, I made this dresser, I fixed this car, you know, like mm. I built this house. Like, I feel like there's a groundswell going there. Um, and it just seems like it's picking up like a lot of momentum along the way. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. Cause we, people realize we need to go back to our roots. Like that's essentially what it is, right? It's like getting grounded again. Cause I think as a society, we were just like, <laughs> yeah. so no I absolutely agree for sure I, I think though for sure it's definitely stronger in some areas than it is in others yeah yeah but it's gonna happen <laughs> in the backcountry I notice it lots like you take like 10 years ago I could go on some of the like most popular trails now and not run into like anybody or just the, even like the visual appearance of people of being there and like now it's like I just keep going further and further out because there's just, there, there's just people everywhere in and I love it and hate it at the same time. Like I love that people and families and, you know, especially young couples. I love seeing go out there, like, like parents with their kids, dragging their kids out, hauling their kids around on the baby backpacks or getting them out there. Like, I love to be able to see it. Like, do you notice that out there that it seems like that the back country is getting busier? Oh, it's crazy. It's insane. So um, I originally moved to Calgary um, 18, yeah, almost no, 17 years ago. Uh, I haven't been here the whole time, but like we used to go to the mountains 17 years ago and we'd go like to one of the closest hikes in Bragg and see not a single being. <laughs> and yeah. so now it's like, boom. So there, you know, I've heard a few different things. Obviously social media is a big driver of that, getting people out into the mountains, which is amazing. Um, but also there's been a lot of money injected into this area in regards to advertising uh, tourism, right, for um, especially Banff and that. And it is great to see I'm the same. I love it, but I also don't love to go where the crowds are either. <laughs> yeah. And we've got, a, we've got a big pooch and she's not that friendly with other dogs. So we will always prefer to go way further than there are people. I mean, when I was at Moose Mountain the other day uh, on Sunday with her, that we seen two other people, but it was probably more so the weather, like it was really cold. <laughs> but uh, no, it, I, 
And, you know, it's fascinating because I was actually speaking to, so Aaron, uh, my husband's um, grandfather, he is born and bred or born and raised, as they say, in Calgary. And so he, growing up, was, um, his family were big, big hikers. And so they would hike. Um, he could always remember as a little boy, they'd hike. And then once he had his own family, he'd take the children and they'd hike and they'd backcountry camp. They, you know, very little stuff. And he said the only people that you would see hiking back then, and now he, that's probably talking like the, maybe the 60s. The only people you would see, he said, you'd never see Canadians. It was mostly new um new Canadians so mostly Eastern Europeans and or Europeans hiking I found that fascinating I was like oh wow really and so now if you look at the dynamic of people who are hiking out there especially more so I guess in the in the popular places I don't know if you've noticed but it seems like there's way more new Canadians out there and maybe all the you know the locals obviously are getting further away from that but it's great to see like I think it's fantastic to see but you know it's unfortunate, though, that this year it has brought a lot more um, polluting in the in the mountains, which is really unfortunate. Um, and That's I the part that just irritates me, like I know. The, the dog poop bags, the water yeah. bottles, the little kegger. Yeah. And I realize some of it's innocent. Like you went to put it in your pocket, didn't realize it fell out. You know, but like it just like it just irks me to oh, yeah. no end or like all the little toilet papers that the people live around with and blow their nose and throw yeah. it on the ground like it just I don't want to see it like I love the purity because um yeah. when I'm in the mountains I, I, I was sitting on a mountain peak not this summer we just had but the one before that <clears throat> and I was sitting on this mountain peak looking out at the mountains and I was like you know the one most beautiful part about life and mountains actually encapsulate this perfectly is that we look at mountains, they're so beautiful, these views, and like we look at these ranges, they're so beautiful, but they literally represent the most disgusting, disruptive, violent aspect that this planet can offer. Like yeah. just complete chaos and turmoil, mm -hmm. but just with enough time, like how beautiful it can be. So yeah. you can contrast that into like our lives. I remember saying they're just thinking like, like this will be all of us at like at one point, you know, mm -hmm. but like mountains are still growing. Like our Rocky mountains are still getting higher. Like there's still that base layer of like disturbance and turmoil, but the beauty is still there. So you can yeah. choose what you want to see. Like, is it ugly that that rock face fell off and created that rock slide? Or do you look at that rock slide and see that it's beautiful? Those are just like the same scars that we can look at like on within ourselves too but we choose not to look at it that way and like you said we're it's yeah. the mindsets and stuff but oh totally yeah and do you like do you um because you do live on the coast do you prefer do you have more of a pull to the mountains or more of a pull to the ocean oh way more to the mountains yeah, oh, yeah. The, the ocean I can completely take it or leave it to be honest okay. with you okay. um, because like growing up like I used to spend three weeks in the backcountry with my dad and his friends um, mm -hmm. hunting every single winter so we had this big 20 by 40 a-frame tent with wood burning stove we would be like you know 40 miles into the back not a soul around and we would yeah. just hike and hunt for days and weeks and like it was just it was amazing so like like I have a incredibly big pole tat um and I find that the exploration is higher you know like the ocean you know like if I can walk around on the ocean floor you know like <laughs> yeah right you know but I just like I love to see like the different sunsets, the contrast, like the ranges, what's are over just like 
this cliff, what's in this meadow. Like um, I was in Manning Park, um, you know, it's just right along the border here, like earlier this summer. And, you know, like we were on top of this mountain, you know, we were camping. I'm like, okay, there's this meadow down on the backside. There's this little stream, you know, uh, like maybe we can shower in there. We'll see it's like, so there's no rain water. There's only just like some snow banks. Yeah. And uh, so I go trekking down and ended up like in this meadow where there was um, not one, like not two, but three grizzly bears yeah. with cubs in this meadow. And I had this grizzly bear bluff charge me twice. And um, so, and it was like, but I look at that and like, although it's like very like scary, but like, I can still be an observer of that. Like I yeah. love the look with like, there's just, there's, there's everything. And I realized that the contrast would be like, you know, if you're swimming with sharks or something like that, you know, but like, I, I love to be able to see all that. Like it just, I was actually sneaking up on some mule deer and actually snuck up on a grizzly bear instead by accident. Um, you know, but I just, I love to be able to see like everything around, like all the different colors, the contrast, like I love the old trees that fell over a hundred, 200 years ago and there's new trees growing out of them. And you know, like just everything along those lines. I just far prefer the backcountry for sure. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. No, I have a bit of both growing up by the ocean. Uh, we dive a lot. So therefore we are walking on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I definitely have an amazing love for the mountains since living here. That's for sure. Did yeah. you do any free diving? No. No? no, no. What's, what's diving? Like I haven't done any, any diving. Like what, what is your experience with diving? So um, diving is almost, I find it quite meditative. It's a, uh, it's not for everybody. If you're really claustrophobic, it's not for you. Um, although I do suffer from a bit of claustrophobia, but obviously not extreme enough. Um, I love it. I mean, I grew up in Cairns, which is like the gateway to the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. Oh. Uh, unfortunately, these days, it's nowhere near what it used to be. Um, I've also had the like privilege of diving over on the west coast of Australia and swimming with the whale sharks and stuff. I really, like being under the water is a whole nother level. You know, like I, yeah, I, the best way to explain it is meditative. If you ever have the opportunity to do it, you really should, I think. And Philippines, I haven't been there, but that's on our list because apparently they have some of the best world-class diving in the Philippines. That's, uh, that's on the bucket list. <laughs> what was it like growing up, like being able to have access to like the Great Barrier Reef like that, especially like kind of a little bit more in its glory days compared to the devastation that's happened to it now? Yeah, well, you know, I don't know. It just, it's kind of like you guys just growing up in the mountains, right? They're just there. And we just, we went there all the time. We deep sea fished all the time. We just stopped one, you know, um, sand caves and we'd swim. I mean, it's just so incredibly beautiful. And uh, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's been over commercialized as as a lot of things with the tourism. But, you know, they're starting to rein that back into and starting to restrict the amount of people that are allowed to go out and see it. Uh, but it's not just the tourism, too. It's it's other things as well that has caused, you know, a lot of the reef to die. But no, it was I lived a very wild and free childhood. We were very extremely lucky to grow up how we did. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know, like we we just on the weekend, we'd be out there in our boats all the time, you know, jumping off the boat. We're never, you don't have to worry about sharks up there, just crocodiles. So, you know, it was, uh, there wasn't really anything huge and predatory that could actually eat us when we're out in the reef, <laughs> essentially. But, you know, closer to the beach, yeah, we had to watch out for the crocodiles or the saltwater crocodiles. <laughs> yeah. What was it like having two gypsy parents uh, growing up? Yeah, well, they, so my dad's Irish, so he's gypsy at heart. <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, they, I, I don't know, they just, um, I mean, they're obviously a big part of who I am today. And I, I, I asked my mom all the time, I'm like, how did you instill this in me? She's like, I didn't, I just did it. I'm like, oh yeah, right. I see. So yeah, they just, you know, they, we were always every weekend, uh, if we weren't, um, driving, you know, six hours to go camp in the, one of the most remote places in these beautiful, big gorges. Um, we, we were very fortunate to travel overseas um, through the family business a couple of times, you know, in my childhood. And I don't know, it was just, they were just kind of wild and free themselves, right? So you just kind of end up, nothing was ever a big issue and they never seemed to, they just always seem to go with the flow with everything. I don't know. And so I guess that's how we all ended up. I've got two other siblings. They both live in Australia and we're all the same. We're all just like, just cruising. Although my, my sister is more of a gypsy. My, my brother's more of a homebody. He loves like, he's a real builder of things. So he likes to stay at home and just build, build, build <laughs> rather than travel so much. But I mean, we, we lived in such like it's still quite remote, the northern part of where we live. So, you know, you can still get to places pretty quickly and be a long way from any civilization still. So, yeah, it was honestly the best way to, to say it is just wild and free. Like we just had the most wild and free childhood ever. Like, and that's a, I'd love that for our boys as well. Definitely. Do you guys, are you like, were you guys affected by like these fires that are going on us? Like it was just horrendous. The amount. Yeah. No, no. So it's all, it was all South. So we were actually in Australia in December when the fires were happening and um, the closest fire to where we um, and my family are, it was about 3000 kilometers away. Like it's oh, wow. nowhere near. Yeah. And it's, I mean, so my heart just breaks for them. I didn't, you know, fortunate we didn't have any family or friends there, but, you know, they just get slapped with these fires and then the pandemic hits, you know, I just, my heart just aches for them. Support. Like it just must be, it must be rough <clears throat> right now with everything that's going on down there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's wrap this thing up. Okay. I want you to be able to throw your social media handles, um, website information, like order information, like everything that you want to be able to get out there, how people can get a hold of you, um, order your products, um, and just throw it there and tell them about your amazing socks. Cause I love wearing those socks. I love the color <laughs> of them when I look down at them. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So if you're looking for us, um, our handle is at happy fat snacks, um, for Instagram and Facebook. And the website is the same www.happyfatsnacks.com. And, uh, so for anyone listening in Calgary, uh, there's a couple of stores in Calgary that, that you can get them from. They're listed on the social media there. And then otherwise everything right now is online e-commerce. Just visit our website and, um, uh, we can we ship all over Canada. Well, we ship worldwide, actually. Uh, unfortunately, the shipping is a little bit slower these days, but you know we're trying to work around it. And um, usually within Canada, it's not so bad. But if you're going internationally, it's taking a little longer. Um, and uh, yeah, we got these amazing socks made. Those socks are actually made by some local boys in Calgary here who brought their own sock making machine. It's amazing. <laughs> they're super cool. And they're made from Egyptian, organic Egyptian cotton. And um, we call them adventure socks. They're just fun, right? They just, the colors are fun and they just, they kind of, yeah. 
So they're also available online and we're just looking into some more swag that we're going to get uploaded here soon, as soon as possible. But yeah, feel free to ask us any questions, shoot us some, um, a message on Instagram or you can uh, message us through our website as well. We'd love to hear from anybody. Let us know. And yeah. what are the flavors and what are the ingredients? Yeah, for sure. So the two flavors we have right now, so actually I should start with the cocoa vanilla is like our Amazing. base yeah, thank you. As our base flavor. So the main ingredient is macadamias, which is hands down, I have to say, the best nut out there. It's my favorite nut of all time and one of the healthiest nuts out there, if not the healthiest nut. Um, so macadamias is the main ingredient, a couple of cashews in there for their creaminess, and then coconut butter and uh, Himalayan sea salt and then vanilla bean powder, which is like a that's the kicker because it's such an authentic flavor of vanilla. There's no, there's no vanilla alcohols. It's just um, it's pure vanilla bean powder. So that's our base um, recipe. And then from there, we're, we're kind of branching off into the different flavors. And so from that, we've added um, for our salted chocolate flavor, we just have had it added cacao paste and some more Himalayan salt. So just keeping it super simple. And then, so that's the two flavors we have available right now. And we are working on our dark roast mocha flavor, which I'm sure is going to be a crowd pleaser. Yeah. So we're just working on, you know, kind of just balancing out the flavors of that. It's, without adding any sweetener to something with that coffee taste, the bitterness, like, you know, some people love that, some people don't. So we're just trying to find the right medium for that. Um, so stay tuned. That, that should be out pretty soon, hopefully. <laughs> Fingers awesome. crossed. Yeah. Sounds super exciting. Can't wait to be able to see um, you guys just grow and be super successful mm -hmm. and just see the, the prosperous and the fruitfulness of your guys' company on, on all your hard work. Yeah, thank you so much, Blake. And thank you so much for creating such an amazing platform as you as you do here and having us on. We feel incredibly grateful. Thank you thank so you much. much. Anytime.